Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Communicating with people all of the time, wherever you are. Even though it's mostly working silently, you, you still are speaking. But the photographs that one creates when you're working observationally appear as if there's been no direct communication. And, and unless you have somebody looking di- directly towards the camera, it's purely observational. But, when one makes a portrait, there's no question that there's there's been a, a sort of direct connection and communication. Melting Pot, a global podcast series hosted by Pyle, connects guests who have inspiring stories and reaches out to a multicultural audience over 52 countries. Guests are diverse, such as celebrities, entrepreneurs, travelers, and many more who've had a turning point in their lives and moved over to a holistic lifestyle. Follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, social media. Hi, everyone. Today, I am in conversation with a very accomplished artist, photographer. Her name is Vanessa Winship. Vanessa is a renowned, award-winning photographer. She's known for her portrait, landscape, and documentary photography. And her works are generally in black and white. And the projects that she's been involved in have been in the Balkans, in the US, in Turkey, the Black Sea. So she's had a, an amazing repertoire, which of course we're going to talk about with Vanessa. But I have to add here that she's also one photographer of the year at the Sony World Photography Awards in 2008. And she was the first woman to win the Henry Cartier Bresson in 2011. She's also an honorary fellowship of the Royal Photographic Society, and her work is held in permanent collections. But she is also, I'm not sure if I can, I can't say if you're an author, but I know that you've published multiple books. So thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy. (laughs) Okay, so let's kickstart the conversation with you sharing a little bit about your personal journey and how you found your passion for exploring cultural heritage through photography. Okay, that's a big question. I think that I have my grandmother to thank, really, for the beginning of my curiosity about uh, photography. When I was a little girl, my mum would take me to her mother's house and they would want to be 
chatting and talking about whatever was happening. And in order to keep me amused, my grandma would put me in front of the, they had a, she had a writing bureau with some family pictures in, and there was one particular photograph that really took my imagination. And it was, it was a photograph of um, a wedding and my grandma was the um, one of the bridesmaids. And so this was a, a young girl, a teenager. And I think for me, it was the, I was fascinated knowing that it was my grandmother. And, and so looking at my grandma, who's an old lady, and 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 then looking at her as a as a younger woman, and I suppose when I'm when I'm thinking about it now, she was almost certainly much younger than than I am now. So I'm thinking about my own granddaughter and how she would be looking at me. So I think it was that sort of shift in knowing that time changes and also the landscape around us. But that's the starting point, really. And then after that, much later, I went briefly to art college in Hull. I'm actually from Lincolnshire, and Hull is the biggest city across the river. And and so my, I hadn't really thought about photography from that point, really. It was some, It was something that was in my unconscious and I liked photographs and then at the college I think I was a little bit out of my depth but I should also add that I had two at school I had two very wonderful art teachers one Mr Paul and the other one Mr Houghton I was I think I was named after Mr Paul's daughter and and the other one Mr Houghton and and both of them taught me different things. And Mr. Paul taught me about faces, interestingly. And Mr. Houghton spoke to me about walls and trying to get me to appreciate the sort of the detail of walls. And so those aspects were things that I that, that, that you hold somewhere in the back of your subconscious mind. Anyway, when I did finally go to art college, I was out of my depth, but there was a photography, there was a photography module and I rekindled my interest in photography. And then later on with my then partner, we moved to Bristol. Um, I had a, I had my son um, by then. And I enrolled on a on a course at the Technical College. And all of these feel like a, so long ago. And it was from there in Bristol that I really, I think, properly developed my, yeah, knowing that this is what I was going to do and pursue. Okay. Some of your work, which I have had the opportunity to have a look at, there is a very strong emphasis on themes of identity and belonging. So how do you approach 
capturing because it's very abstract as a concept. So how do you approach capturing it visually? That's a big question. I think um, the first, my first major body of work was the work I made around the, actually the first, the, the work I did before making the, the work around the Black Sea, I had, I, be, I was interested in, Al, in Albania and for some obscure reason, why, why this um, place that nobody really knew about. And through the writing of the work of Ismail Kadre, who's um, a novelist, I began to understand a little bit about or imagine that I understood something about that place. So it was through his writing, in fact, that I that my imagination was taken to. And then in, in several years later, many years later, the conflict in Kosovo happened. And then I had to go and I said both myself and my husband, the photographer George Giorgio, we went to we went to that conflict zone and we were very much working observationally <clears throat> in in that context so it's two groups of people in conflict with one another and that strong sense of who each party was after that and i'm really compressing it i um, again, reading the work of an, another writer, Neil Asherson, moving from that area, we were then situated in the Balkans. And then we ended up in, in the Balkans. We stayed over an extended period of time. We moved to Athens. We lived in Belgrade for a, a year. And it was a question of actually positioning ourselves where, where you actually stay. And until before before that, I we would go backwards and forwards to, to make different works, or rather I would make different works moving backwards and forwards. And I think it was only after my son was 18 that we were, in, in a way I was free to actually move physically. And so we lived in, each time we have made work, we have actually positioned ourselves and actually lived there. And I think that feels quite an important thing to actually stay. Yeah, because that's and, where the, I guess, also the cultural heritage comes in play, because then you know, that was something that I also wanted to understand from you. How do you navigate the ethical considerations when you're actually photographing different cultures? Because you've moved around, as you're also saying that you go and base yourself. So how you have to be mindful through your photography. So how do you actually... What are the different kind of considerations that you do take 
when you are amongst people who are who belong to different cultural backgrounds so that you're not you're able to get the essence of it without actually being insensitive if i may use that word yeah so how do you actually um, navigate that it's a really it's a really interesting question uh, and it's really it's complicated of course because i will never be from another place other than the place that i'm from i think there is something i think there is something interesting about being an outsider in that in a certain way I was reading something by Franz Fanon recently about what it means to to be an outsider if one stays. You're, in a certain way, treated with suspicion, but at the same time, it gives you a, it gives you a, in a certain way, it affords you, or it affords the people that you're photographing a, a certain freedom. If, if if that makes any sense at all, with somebody that you know very well, there's in a way there's too much baggage. But with a, in a certain way with this with a stranger, it's that that has is somehow disappears. Of course, it's not as simple as that, and I think that it's really a question of. I think if I have a skill it's one of being quite quiet i'm not and people may tell you differently but i feel that i'm somebody who's very quiet and whether that's a question of i'm somehow able to just be ignored <laughs> in in places that I go to, and I'm, and it's not a question of hiding. I'm I'm never surreptitious. I'm always I always place myself wherever I'm working, and I know that people know that I'm there. Yeah. And once you're there for an extended period of time, people start to ignore you. That's not answering your question about the ethics, um, what it is that that I do. I don't know, really. I think that, for me, it feels like it's a question that I want to respect and honour whoever it is or whatever or wherever. So do you take, you take permission before you go out, and especially when it's people? Do you take permission? Um, it's, it's difficult because, it, of course, it depends on every situation is different. So I'm, if I'm going to, say, for example, a competition, then obviously one needs to have permission before you do that. With the schoolgirls project, of course, 
that was something that needed permission. And where, which part of the world was that project from? Okay, so the work we're talking about is the work from Eastern Anatolia. We lived in Turkey for nearly five years and we're still very much connected to Turkey. So we visit regularly. We went to a friend's wedding very recently. So it's that that particular work is now more than 16 years old. And since making that work, and in fact, I made that particular body of work right at the end of our stay in, in Turkey. And so we were there already nearly five years before I made that work. And, and, and so now, 16 years later, we still have a relationship with with people there. So to answer your question, to, in order to make that body of work, we had to first go to ask permission from the from Ankara, if you like. And then it's one thing asking permission from the higher highest yeah. authority. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Then each of the municipalities we went to, okay, I had my little piece of paper that said, we are authorizing. And in fact, in actual fact, there had been two, two other campaigns to get more girls into school. It was one was UNICEF and another was a local organization that was campaigning to get more girls into school. But so each of the municipalities, the authority in Ankara sent me a whole list of schools to visit and initially I had wanted to go to rural schools, mostly little schools. But I ended up with a list of some schools that were in quite big cities, so Diabaka, for example, and uh, Akari, and they're quite big cities. And we turn up at a big city school and quite a lot of the girls were actually from the surrounding villages. But we had to have permission from each of those municipalities. And so that was a question of waiting in offices. And sometimes people would come with us, local education people would come with us, and sometimes they didn't. Right. And I ended up going to 13 different schools in the end. Okay. And, and actually, I think I'd made one trip 
before before actually doing the whole project in cars. But I think once you have an idea, and I'd already made my first book, which is The Work Around the Black Sea, and of course Turkey is situated within all of those countries within the Black Sea, you begin to know, you begin to understand. You, yeah, you begin to understand, of course. Yeah. You never understand in the way that there, there are cultural differences. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think in a way, maybe things, some things are more universal in that we all want right. the best yeah. for our families. Yeah. And, and so what you try to do is you try to connect the similarities as opposed to the differences. And I think there are commonalities between all humans, yeah. what we wish for and what we want for our families, I, I believe. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So essentially what you're saying is that you try and look not try and look, but uh, what connects you is the similarities rather than the differences. So that's what you try and find with so. culture and each community that you then go and become a part of for while you're working on your projects. So yeah, so no, that's interesting. So you are, your work spans different genres. You do documentaries, portraits, landscapes. How is your approach similar for each genre or do you have a different approach when you're doing photography for documentary or documentaries or portrait or landscape? So what is your process like for each one of them? Is it similar? Is it different? Are there any commonalities? I guess the commonality is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that I think that the, the the greatest difference, if it's a difference, well, it certainly is a difference, is that when one makes a portrait, it's it's absolutely a direct contact. Mm. Of course, with the documentary style work. You're, you are communicating with people all of the time, where, wherever you are, even though it's mostly working silently, you, you still are speaking. But the photographs that one creates when you're working observationally appear as if there's been no direct communication. And, and unless you have somebody looking di directly towards the camera, it's purely observational. But when one makes a portrait, there's no question that there's there's been a, a sort of direct connection and communication. And of course, when you're working in, in a place where you don't speak the language, it's absolutely necessary that you work with somebody who who's either who is a local person 
And so when I made portraits in places where I don't speak the language, because obviously I worked in many places and I would have been an absolute genius if I spoke all of those languages. Languages, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm far from that. Um, so once I began to make formal portraits in places that I didn't speak the language or didn't have enough language to, to communicate well, it's absolutely necessary to work with somebody who's who is local person or who does speak the language. Of course, when you're photographing small people, it's it you're not asking you're not asking complicated questions. And in and in actual fact, you're not asking questions when you're photographing small people. That would be and this is where for me ethics comes in. It would be I believe it would be unethical for me to question children. Yeah. So when I photograph children, I'm not quizzing them. I'm not asking them. I'm not asking them any details at all about their personal lives. It's very simple. It's very, it's very straightforward in a way. What is your name? Yeah. And the most simple things that, that we directly share they yeah. would often tell me that they liked my hair or they liked my clothes and those kind of simple things really so it's it remains distant and intimate at the same time I think that's really the main difference when you're making a portrait in a place you don't speak the language it's absolutely necessary to be with somebody who does and then of course when you're in a place where you do speak this, you have a common language, then you can speak for however long <laughs> that person yeah. is, is willing to um, afford you their time. Yeah. Because, of course, they're giving you their time. Okay. And it's absolutely vital that you you honour them and make a good portrait of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I wanted to ask you, photography is evolving with all these technological advancements that we are seeing. So how do you adapt and how do you incorporate these new tools and techniques while you're still maintaining the timeless quality that you have in your work? I think it's really important to... To be absolutely aware, I have no, I'm old, but I have absolutely no wish to be a, a dinosaur. And so I, I think that photography has always been about technology. It's always been about, and it's relatively young as a medium. But I think that, I think probably partly younger people who are, who have been brought up with modern technology. So in a way, I'm from that generation that where there were no mobile phones and there was no internet and we had libraries to for our research. For, yeah. For our research. But 
the younger generation are, are brought up with computers and they're brought up with technology. So in, in a way, it's to the young that we have to stay connected. I think to be, to really be, just to be, to follow it, to, to be ready to, to understand what it is and what are the, what are the positives and what are the negatives to, to any kind of modern technology. And I think just to stay abreast with what's going on, not to shut yourself away from it. I'm by nature a little bit of a hermit. <laughs> so, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but and, and I'm actually quite shy and quite a little bit socially awkward, but I'm still really wanting to keep abreast of what's happening. It's not... I was going to say it's not the technology that I'm engaged with. Of course, I've shifted away from analog to 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 digital photography. If I have a a work that requires me to work quickly, right. it's absolutely necessary for me to work digitally, and and I've embraced that. I'm I'm not so good with it, but I'm still engaging with it, and at the same time, I'm also. I remain interested in early processes. That's beginning to be something that I'm looking at, the, how photography began. I think maybe the thing that's most exciting for me is the is books, printed matter. That's becoming or has become, there's a real renaissance with the, with the book form. And that I really appreciate and want to that's something that I'd like to I've always had an, an interest in books and photography books are becoming a, really a huge thing and books are accessible yeah that's true yeah so much Vanessa for your insights and your the thoughtful way in which you have tried to convey and it's really you are very you let your photography speak and I think that is so important and that's so wonderful about uh, your work and I'm sure you have so many more projects ahead of you and I look forward to being able to with your publications to be able to get a hold of them to I know you have permanent you don't call them exhibitions do you there are two two different strands sorry it's permanent collections right so my work is held in 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 a number of collections but that's there are also festivals that that show work and that's one avenue that's really important for the work to travel so you you saw the work with the pre-picked as a traveling exhibition so those festivals are really important platforms for 
people to to show their work. So that's a means of work being circulated. Also, World Press is another platform. So each of different platforms, and then of course, gallery exhibitions. So that so there are festivals where work is shown and circulated to to a large public, and then smaller platforms, if you like, where you're showing work within a, a, a gallery setting. So there are many different ways of having work shown, and some of it is broad, which is really, for me, really interesting and exciting. And books, moving exhibitions, as you saw with the pre-pictet, that's um, a great way for, particularly for young people, as well to put their work into a festival to to and and those there are lots of festivals currently running to to be able to to show their work um yeah no it's it's important i think the royal photographic society has um it it has its own platform where they they invite young photographers to or actually not just young photographers anyone actually Any to put their work, yeah, yeah. Their work. and yeah, lots of different people book fairs are, are, are really enormous now and really important yeah. for people and if we're considering space <laughs> books are relatively <laughs> small yeah. and contained but it's there there are many and all of it feels exciting Wonderful. Yeah, I think this is a good insight for young photographers who are just starting out to know that they should not be disheartened and there is different, there are different ways in which they can get their works to be seen, as you mentioned. Absolutely, there are open calls. And open calls and things like that. No, so that's very encouraging. Thank you once again, Vanessa. And very welcome. Hope the day, the rest of your day is not as grey as you're saying it is <laughs> <laughs> now while you're talking to me. So anyways, enjoy the rest of your day. And Thank you. Luck, and I look forward to seeing a lot more of your wonderful photography. Thank you so much. That was really you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> enjoy you. Dubai. Thank you. Thank you. I will. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 